This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we press on into the final chapters of Isaiah's servant discourse, hearing the famous passage of God's suffering servant and searching for the fruit of those trials. Yes, indeed. I don't have any wonderful intro or setup today. We should just dive right on in. We kind of left off, not really in the middle of anything, but we weren't done with the with Isaiah's servant discourse yet. So could just jump right back in into chapter 49. Okay, starting in verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Right, so this is the first time that the servant reference raises some questions, and there are some discrepancies in manuscripts. I'm interested, Brent, to see if the NET has anything to say about the end of verse 5 there, 49.5, because my understanding is that there are some manuscript discrepancies. Jewish perspective um, wrestles with the servant in Isaiah. None of them, shocker, are going to say that the servant is Jesus. So we might as Jesus' followers, but the Jewish conversation will not, for obvious reasons. Um, they do argue about whether or not the servant is God's people, which on some level has just blatantly been true, I feel like, in front of us. But then some people will also say that the servant, when it takes on a more individualistic picture or image, is actually Isaiah as the prophet, Isaiah himself. Because when you read this passage and you pay attention to it, this one sounds slightly different. Um this one sounds like it's more personal. And the and the conversation between God and the servant feels like it's directed maybe more directly at Isaiah himself. It's still not, I don't think the case is closed. I don't think it's super easy to say that. Well, that's just it. That's exactly what the language is suggesting. But it may seem to suggest that more than any of the other references we've looked at. But do you have any notes there in the NET about anything there at the end of verse 5? No, I'm not finding anything. No way, man. My NIV has a footnote on, let's see here, bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. That reads, how does that read to you, Brent? Who is the I am honored in the eyes of the Lord? I mean, it definitely feels like it's supposed to be Isaiah. Yeah. And I I do, I have a footnote here in the NIV um, that says it could read, and I don't know if this is because of a manuscript discrepancy. I don't think it's, it would be a translation issue. Um, Israel would not be gathered, yet I will be honored, which would still seem to give some Isaiah overtones to me. It just feels like that's Isaiah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really weird break in the language. Yep. Absolutely. And then verse six, obviously, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob? Well, isn't that exactly what Isaiah has been called to bring back those in Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation will reach the ends of the earth. I personally don't hold that perspective. I still see the same servant here 
um, that I've been seeing all along. Maybe this one slightly changes because Isaiah is living this out in a unique way. But I thought worth worth looking at and bringing up. The way verse 6 reads, it doesn't seem like Isaiah at that point. It just seems like he's, I don't know, like he's inserting himself for some reason. I, I don't know. Yeah. The tricky thing is all up to this point, the Israel has, the servant has been Jacob. It has been Israel. And now, is it too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob? Well, that's who used to be the servant and to bring back those of Israel. Well, that's that was the servant. So you can see the argument that some of the rabbis make that the servant, at least in chapter 49, if not even beyond into the following chapters here that we're going to associate so often with Jesus, could even be Isaiah himself. But it's not how I typically read it, but nevertheless. Is there any sort of singular or plural you going on there that would oh, make an indication? I, I would. I mean, there would be. I would assume, I mean, that absolutely is going to be there in the Hebrew. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but all throughout it's already been singular because the servant has always been a singular servant, hmm. not a collective servant. Um, I mean, I, I would have to go back and check, but I'm almost positive the language is almost always singular, but that does exist in the Hebrew, yes. So with that, uh, that was fun, but no further to do. We can just keep on moving because I don't have any conclusive expertise there. So we'll just keep going to Isaiah 50. You did it again, Marty. What's that? You said, you said no further to do. Man, I just can't get out. I just can't get out. These redneck expressions. I can't get them out of my, out of my vocabulary. They're just stuck with me forever. Uh, it is still singular there, by the way. Okay. So there you go. But yeah, as you. As you say, it makes sense because the image has been a singular servant. Yep. Okay, where are we reading next? What did I do there? We're going to go Isaiah 50, and we're just going to, yep, first few chat, first few verses. This is what the Lord says. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins, you were sold. Because of your transgressions, your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. All right, so here's this reminder of how we got here. But And I love the tone. I think you read this passage actually really well. I appreciated your just how you chose to read that because... God's like, yeah, 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 your sin got you here. I, I sold your mother, but but why? Which I realize the language there is a little jarring. But but why, when I came looking for you, wasn't there anybody here? Like, did did you not think that, I mean, yeah, your sin got you here, but did you not think that I could save you? Like, I, there's this tone of, yeah, I understand, I understand the mess you've been through to get here, but are you not waiting for me to show up and rescue you? And I love that, um, that tone in, in this passage here which is really what the whole chapter is really going to call them back to. My, my subtitle says, Israel's sin and the servant's obedience. So your sin got you here, but what I'm calling you towards is to not lose hope, not lose despair. Let me find you, reach out when I call to you, and be there, uh, be there for me, suffer well, so that we can put the world back together on the back end of this. So that's what I got in chapter 50. So I don't know if you got anything else there, but we can... 
keep on moving when you're ready. Moving on to 51, which I presume from your notes, you're attributing to the Deuteronomist. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even think about that, but my <laughs> subtitle in my notes that Brent is seeing here says, remember where you came from. That's the subtitle I have. Yeah. It's so funny. Based on my last episode, uh, snark. <laughs> that's so fitting. I like that. Uh, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. So just like we looked at in session one and session two of our study years ago, um, uh, you, you have this same idea. You, the reason you're here to think back to the last chapter about your sin got you here. The reason your sin got you here was you had forgotten the plot. You've lost the plot of the story. You need to go back. You need to remember the quarry from which you were hewn. You need to remember Avram and Sarah. You need to remember what it looks like to trust the story. You need to remember what it means to be people of radical hospitality. And boy, that feels like a long time ago, doesn't it, Brent? Studying Abraham and radical hospitality. Yep. Yeah, we should probably do that some more of that in session, you know, season eight and nine. But the, the author here of Isaiah, the prophet calls them back. Remember, remember Genesis, remember the beginnings, remember what this whole thing is about. Because somewhere along the way, we lost the plot. Again, I hope we would realize how relevant that is to so much of our own faith expressions. But uh, how about we keep going in the next few verses? Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way, and my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. And I have a question about the islands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there have been several references to islands, including some that we didn't actually read. But Isaiah's been talking about islands a lot. And what is that? Like, is that just referring to those nations that are in the Mediterranean or is there some, some sort of imagery that says something else? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's always a reference to the, it's like one of those, it's like the Goyim, the nations, like there are a few references that always kind of reference the pagans. I'm not convinced that it's just a reference to like physical islands. Like I've never heard anybody say that etymologically that word, it's the right translation. I feel like there's gotta be some like some come alongside me meanings of. I've never asked Elle about this word. Um, it's the right translation. Islands is is what it is as far as I understand. Um, but it's one of the words that's used to talk about those who are far off. Um, and I'm wondering if the word kind of means, you know, an, you know an, an island, isolated. You know, I, I don't know if the word even kind of insinuates not the people that are on the inside, but the people are, that are far off on the outside. But maybe it does. Maybe it references those from from the sea. I, I don't know. But it is, a, it is a Gentile, you know, those people, the Gentiles, the pagans, the nations, the goyim. Um, I don't think the word there is goyim. You could check, but I don't think that's the word that the NIV is translating islands. 
I think the NIV usually translates, translates Goyim nations. It's pronounced E? Yep. Yep. That's the word for island. Yep. Okay. Well, there you go. That's the same That's the same as today. I'm learning modern Hebrew with L right now. And if you want to talk about islands in modern Hebrew, it's the same word. First mention in Genesis 10. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. Oh, oh. so there's a little, uh, yeah, there's a callback first mention connection. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. But uh, I think we got one more little section here in 51 we'll snag before we move on to 52 and beyond. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever. My salvation through all generations. All I can tell you, Brent, is that I'm a liar. We're actually going to be in chapter 51 for a little, for a little bit. So um, I did want to skip down just a little bit further. But another one of these references that makes me think of the Gospel of John we talked about in the last episode. I, I have another reference here just a few verses later. So... Um, we can jump down to verse 12 and uh, read this next little section. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The cowering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who say to Zion, you are my people. All right. So uh, there's another reference. We, we've talked about God as helper in the last episode. We talked about God as advocate. We talked about God as savior. We talked about God as a paraclete, someone who comes alongside of. And here, God is comforter. And if I think about that discourse in John's gospel about the Holy Spirit, one of the things that uh, Jesus is very much doing in John uh, 14 and then again in John 16 is he's talking about comfort, that they will be comforted, that he's going to turn their grief into joy, and the Holy Spirit's going to do that. And so I I just see that same parallel that I talked about in the last episode there yet again. But uh, if you don't have anything to add there, Brent, we got to go to the very next verse, just one verse to see a transition in the conversation here. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. You have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. All right. So so now we start entering this this conversation, this discussion about their their suffering and the cup of wrath. But they're but as we said in Isaiah 40, their sin has been paid for. She has received from Lord. Do- so now this is a reference, a reference to what has happened. And he begins this section talking about the cup of wrath. Because if we just focus on the cup of wrath, it's again, it's kind of one of those despairing. Kind of like, ugh. but he started this first verse by saying, who has already drank from the cup, Brent? Who has, who has drained it to its dregs? Jerusalem. Yes. God's own people. Like they've, they've, they've tasted of what God's wrath tastes like. 
And now he's trying to tell them that the tides are going to turn, that things are going to change. He just got done saying in the paragraph above that you just read, they know what it's like to sit under the oppressor and God is coming as their comforter. And so now the com- that's the setup for this conversation about God's cup of wrath is you have tasted this. Now let me tell you what's coming, what's coming next. So go ahead and give us really through the end of this chapter and into the next, into chapter 52. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk, but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God, who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. I will put it into the hands of your tormentors, who said to you, Fall prostrate, that we may walk on you. And you made your back like the ground, like a street to be walked on. Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, daughter Zion, now a captive. For this is what the Lord says, you are sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, at first my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately Assyria has oppressed them. <laughs> That's a very casual way to translate that in NIV. <laughs> It did. Yeah, it did. It did sound just a little funny in the English, but yeah. So God says, you've tasted this cup, but now this cup is going to get, is going to get handed to somebody else. It's going to get handed to another oppressor uh, that's going to learn some of the same lessons. And so God's, God's now speaking to the suffering that they have endured because the end of that suffering is coming, but now I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's, let's listen to the servant who up to this point, before we, before we transition okay. on, on that note of lately, I think it's like, Oh, what's, what, what are you up to these days of Syria? It's like, ah, just oppressing the Israelites. And the, the NET translation of that is Assyria oppressed them for no good reason. So I really think it is, it is supposed to be that casual. Like, sure. Yeah. It's just, we're just doing what we do, you know, nothing, nothing interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually a great, yeah, it's a great observation. And, and the tone of that, you know, what's the appropriate way to understand that in the English and it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it is this casual. I, I like that. I, I like that observation. It's really good. It's very good. So we have this, we, we have this suffering servant passage. And up to this point, the servant has very clearly seemed to be God's people, Israel, Jacob, my people. It may be, maybe it's been Isaiah at times, the prophet, but we have to remember that there's been something, this, this passage doesn't sit in a vacuum. This passage is coming on the tail end of, where are we at? 11, 12 chapters of content up to this point that there's been consistency. There's been kind of a, a stream of thought, a stream of consciousness that this whole section of Isaiah has been following. And so we're, we're still thinking about the suffering of exile, the suffering of God's people, and what God's doing through his people uh, to the rest of the world. That's, that's the tone that we're, uh, that's the context that we're building off of here. Now, Brent, you're about ready to read, uh, before you get into it, like you're about ready to read this pretty, a, a larger section that again, we're used to. And when we hear it, we always hear Jesus. I don't want to take that away from you. You can read it. You can, you can, you can, you can rewind this episode. You can go back and listen to it 10 times and think of Jesus if you want to, but at least once hear this passage through the lens of God's people being the object and the subject of Isaiah's conversation. 
Look at it as an invitation for Isaiah trying to invite God's people to hear a message about their own suffering. So um, go ahead and, and read this. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond any human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Just, just deep in that rut right now, Marty. <laughs> it's so, it is, but it's true. I was going to say that when you were all done. It's almost impossible, isn't it? Yeah. It is for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm deliberately, I deliberately see it that way, and I'm deliberately trying, and it's almost impossible for me to stay there in my headspace. So I have to like, I'll have to do it. For me, I have to look at it. I have to read it with my eyes and not hear it with my ears. There's something that happens when I'm listening to this chapter that makes it so, so difficult. So whatever you got to do to consider that. And please don't hear me say, I'm not trying to get Jesus out of this passage. I'm trying us to consider what it's like to understand this as a call to God's people so that when we do see Jesus, we can see how Jesus is like the perfect example. He's the perfect fulfillment. He's, the, he's showing us how to do this correctly, not because he's trying to fill in a prophetic messianic blank that's been empty for all of history, but because he's trying to say, this is what it looks like to follow God. This is what it looks like to suffer well. That's the book of Hebrews. So I want to get Jesus back into the passage, but I want to understand the passage first so that my Jesus doesn't cloud what the passage is trying to to get at, because then I misunderstand the Jesus in the passage. And that's why it's so important. So, but it is, you're, you're totally right. It is almost impossible for, for Jesus followers and Christians. If you've been in the conversation, if you've been in the church for a lot of your life to not hear Jesus in this, it's just so wild. I feel, I feel almost personally attacked by Isaiah right now in this next verse. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our, our own way or our old way. Yeah. The way that we know. Yeah. Like he knows, like he knows. You can't do this. Yeah, I like it. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All right. So if that servant uh, is the people of God, if it is Jacob, if it is Israel, if it's Isaiah, for that matter, if it's any of those characters, what's being said here, just, I mean, God just got done. You know what it is to be, to taste a cup of wrath. I'm now about ready to pour it out on the nation. So was all of that suffering in vain? No. Because you were willing to go through the suffering and because you were willing to go to go through a particular kind of way, your children, the next generation, will experience healing. Your, your, your grandchildren will live in a world that we've built uh, on the backs of redemption. Like because you were willing to persevere through stuff that you didn't even deserve, because it was in a lot of ways, it was your parents that got you here. There's almost like a whole generation that sits in exile. There, there could be a whole generation late that's hearing, depending on how you want to date Isaiah and the parts of Isaiah, this could be an entirely different generation potentially hearing these words that's considering a return back home or staying in exile, uh, staying in Babylon, staying in Persia. And, and And there's this message of because we've chosen to do this a particular kind of way, we're going to be able to build a new world. If we would have chosen redemptive violence, if we would have chosen whatever those things might be, it would have fallen apart. But because you've done this, we will be healed. This servant, this 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 era of the people of God was crushed for our iniquities. They were they were pierced for our transgressions. Like our afflictions were put on this. There have been a lot of afflictions of God's people throughout history. And yet all of those seem to be heaped on the shoulders of this chapter of God's people's history. And so, see, when I understand that, now I can see Jesus. Now I layer Jesus over the top of it. Everything changes. But I don't know if you got anything else there, Brent. Do you got anything else? Nope. Just um, just the, the call to read it again. And yep. Try to try to see, like, look at every look at every phrase. Like, he was assigned a grave with the wicked. Yep. What 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 would that mean in the context of of the exile? Right. What would that mean if if we're looking at uh, and just just go line by line and try to see, like, try to picture that. Try to figure out a way to read this where you can understand what it was like for that original audience. Totally. Yep. Okay, well, I say let's jump to 54. Starting in verse 11. Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted. I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. 
this man right into a rut there. Yep. I know it. <laughs> this is, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me declares the Lord. Man. And isn't that the truth too? Because that's one of those ruts. That's one of those proof texts, right? Like no weapon formed against you will stand. And we in the Western American context use that to talk very much about triumph and no weapon. And yet it comes on the heels of an entire conversation about a servant who was willing to suffer like the most un-American idea. I'm not trying to pick on America. I'm just saying that is the most, that is not our typical American paradigm. (laughs) We don't make a paradigm on the idea of suffering and losing, but we love that proof text pulled completely out of context, 110%. (laughs) But the image here, and we titled this episode, What Perseverance Produces. Because there's all of this suffering, there's all of this promise, this hope that God says, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to redeem you. Then there's all this talk about the suffering that they've been through. What it produces is the redemption that God's been promising them in the 10 chapters leading up to this. So what it produces is a is a city lashed by storms and not comforted that gets to be rebuilt. Because they've persevered, this city gets rebuilt. And it gets rebuilt pretty well. Like, this isn't like... Uh, I'm assuming that the first Jerusalem wasn't built with lapis lazuli. Like, I'm assuming that the battlements of, of Jerusalem 1.0 weren't made of rubies, Brent. I'm assuming that sparkling jewels were not the things that formed the gates. And yet the thing that God is building, again, thinking not literally, but in, in images and pictures, God's trying to say the thing that we're going to build off of this is going to be better than the thing that was before. And I love that. Well, and if we're still reflecting on... Um... John and how he's using this stuff. Like, I think he takes the image of this even further. Sure. Oh, oh gosh. Oh, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. More John. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He does. Revelation. Were you thinking Revelation when you said that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 110%. All right. I think we've got one more passage here, Brent. Let's close off with my notes have in all caps relief. Like finally relief. The, the bridge between what I would say third Isaiah and fourth Isaiah, um, the kind of the end of this, this suffer, what perseverance produces. Let's look at one more passage here in Isaiah 55. And to beware the ruts. <laughs> <laughs> come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, 
so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. It's bad enough that there's ruts that are, are mental ruts we get into. Then we have to deal with songs that pop into our head from summer camp. Yes, yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth before you. I like it. <laughs> uh, I never knew that song. No? Man. No. And all the but trees I have other songs the from field other parts will of this clap passage. their hands. Trees of the field will clap their hands. Maybe the Catholics don't do that. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I, don't, I didn't. Uh, I'm trying to think when I would have gone to a summer camp. I, I might have just missed the, the time period when they use that song. I don't know. Oh, goodness. I think that does it for today. I'm singing at this point, so I probably need to cut this recording. <laughs> there's, no, there's no stopping him. <laughs> Get this man a drum set and a trumpet. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, did you have any other um, connections to to John that you wanted to make in the in the midst of all this stuff? Not that aren't obvious. Not that we haven't already talked about. So I think we're in good shape for today. But lots of good stuff to consider. Beautiful closing there. I love Isaiah fifty five. It's one of my favorite chapters in Isaiah. One of my absolute favorite chapters. So I'm totally biased. I have some some of my own bias ruts about that chapter but great call to reconsider isaiah 53 52 suffering servant discourse it's good stuff a lot of stuff in the episode yeah somebody doesn't have to hang around you very long before they hear as the rain and the snow yeah no they don't they do not (laughs) one rolls off the tongue pretty easily all right well you can go to baymossupship.com to find uh no show notes today for this one as far as i'm aware but all of our events are there you can get connected in a group check out the map the contact page is there with the best way to get in touch with us so thanks for joining us on the baymall podcast we'll talk to you again soon